Welcome to the Fireside Mendocino County Radio Show. My name is Cobb. I'm engineering in the studio. We have your host and Mendocino County Firesafe Council Director, Scott Craddy, with us today. Are you there, Scott? I am here. Good morning. And perhaps you could introduce our guest for us. Yeah, uh, we are honored to have with us Jana Valakovic, who is a forest advisor with UC Cooperative Extension in partnership with Humboldt and Del Norte County. And um, I guess we'll let Jana say hi, and then I'm going to give a little uh, little overview of what uh, what we're hoping to do today. Good morning, radio listeners. Looking forward to a fun show. This is Jana Valakovic. Good morning, Jana. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So, um, just the basics of what we're what we're about today. Uh, the theme of this show is home hardening. So, hopefully, you're going to come away from from this radio hour understanding sort of basically what that means. And we are also importantly uh, debuting here a, a video series that just went up on our website. Uh, that's a overview to home hardening. It's a free video series uh, that breaks it down and I'll explain more about that later but Yana was one of our uh, key partners in helping put that information together so we're going to hopefully orient you about that new site and explain it a little bit uh, we will step through some of the concerns and through through the basics of home hardening and so give you an overview of it uh, and since we have the honor of having Yana with us today we're also going to sort of step back and provide you some more context and information around that particularly uh, she's been doing a lot of research on recent fires, uh, fire in paradise, so uh, she's going to be able to share with us some insights uh, from what happened in those places and how it ties into the material and what you can learn about how to get your home ready for wildfire. Um, and with that, uh, before we talk about the show a little bit, um, I want to give Yana a chance to uh, introduce herself and, and talk a little about her work. Yeah, well, good morning. Thank you for the invitation, Scott and Cobb. I'm looking forward to a good show and, you know, helping um, residents of the North Coast think a little bit more clearly about what we can do about this fire issue and how we can better prepare ourselves. Because there really are a lot of predictable issues out there, and there's just not enough information getting out to people to be able to make some some decisions about uh, things they might even do this weekend when they've got a little time, downtime around the holiday. Um, so I work for the University of California in, in partnership with a couple of counties, similar to a couple of colleagues in, in Mendocino County. Uh, some folks may know Greg Juicy or Michael Jones. A um, little different than, than what Hannah Bird does through the Ecology Hour and through the Hopland Research Extension Center. Um, but my job is really to serve as a technical resource for North Coast communities around a wide range of natural resource issues. And while my formal trainings in forestry, I've spent uh, a lot of the last um, decade or more thinking about and studying um, how buildings burn and what we can learn from that and and um, how, what's the interplay between defensible space and the actions that we take to modify fuels both in the landscape and in, in our forests, in our wildlands, and near to our home. And I've um, had the, the privilege, really, it's, it's a rather um, difficult emotional process to do a number of post 
fire assessments and and look at the issue of how buildings fail and kind of what what those mechanisms are and how to better understand that. Um, and that has moved on to doing some interesting analysis about paradise and um, the campfire that happened in 2018 and what we can learn from changes in policy, changes in code, changes in practice in paradise that um, can be useful information to all of us as we start to uh, better prepare ourselves in our home environment. And what, um, anything in particular that brought you to that work in your background? Well, yeah, a couple of, a couple of interesting stories. Uh, I grew up in um, a remote portion of southeastern Humboldt County, uh, real rural. Um, and when I was about uh, nine, my dad started a wildland fire accidentally using a weed whacker with a metal blade. And I was the only person home in a pretty large area and, um, you know, had to experience, you know, direct fire attack as a, as a young child. And that was galvanizing for me. Uh, and then later, I lived in Berkeley, Oakland during the Oakland Hills Tunnel Fire and went through, you know, that event where, I mean, it really, um, you know, shook California um, to see that to see that fire and see so many homes lost and really get the concept that the Santa Ana's are not just a Southern California event. They really, these Diablo winds do occur in the North coast and in, in Northern California. And so what are we going to do about that? Um, in extension, we spent a lot of time trying to be in front on some issues and bring ideas and information to, to people to kind of be prepared to think about sort of new trends and new ideas. So I've been working in fire for 20 years in my job, but, you know, until the Tubbs fire, uh, until the Mendocino complex, we couldn't get an audience that was significant. I mean, we'd get an audience of fire safe council members, maybe a couple of volunteer fire department members, maybe some professional fire folks. And we'd have workshops and we'd do burn demonstrations to look at how different siting products compare. And we'd get 10 people. And you put all this effort in and you think, you know, why is it that no one really cares? I mean, I know they care, but why don't they care to show up? Uh, and so it wasn't until the Tubbs fire when I think we all got, uh, and, and the whole, that whole complex until we all got shaken to our core, uh, did, did that change. And now, um, I don't have enough time in the day to respond to the number of inquiries that I get and to the opportunity to speak and to share, um, what we know and people are hungry for information. And so it's, I mean, it's validating, but I also, you know, our job is to help people help themselves. And so if there's anything I can do to help a family make a difference and save their kids and save themselves, um, you know, that's what keeps me going. That's great. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, and that's sort of the, the ebb and flow of interest in this kind of mirrors the ebb and flow of interest in the Fire Safe Council, which is kind of at its peak of interest and engagement at the moment. Um, and it's one of our goals. I, it sounds like maybe like yours to uh, make sure that doesn't flag this time uh, and to keep the interest going. And with, with that, let me just jump in quickly because that's a perfect segue for, uh, you know, wanting to get the info out uh, for a little bit of background about the website material that we just put out. Um, and 
for a bit of background on that, it was originally, um, it is uh, the product of a grant or supported by a grant through North Coast Opportunities EPIC, which stands for Emergency Preparedness in Communities Program, in partnership with LISTOS, which is the government's campaign to better prepare millions of vulnerable Californians. Uh, and you'll see their intro material uh, at the start of, uh, there's a little 30-second intro to them at the start of each of the videos. Um, we originally got the grant to do community meetings on uh, the current science around home hardening. Uh, and obviously, with the pandemic, we had to pivot on that. Community meetings were no longer an option, so we thought, Let's do something even better. If we take this material, instead of doing a series of community meetings that get a few people, let's put it into a video series uh, that's going to be around permanently and available on an ongoing basis for the community. Uh, and I initially went out and sort of looked at what was available. You know, the first thought was, why don't we just use what's already out there instead of inventing something new? Uh, and what I saw when I looked was that most of the material out there was either technically challenging or much longer than even I had time for um, as part of my job. Uh, and it um, wasn't easy to find the pieces that were relevant to me at the moment. So what we took as a direction for this series was to really break it down and to, to get the pieces that have uh, to sort of take as much of the complexity and variables out uh, and put up a set of video series that are for kind of the average person. And so that means we don't spend a lot of time dwelling on new construction, although that's good material that we, we hope to add down the road. But it's material that's designed for somebody that's got what they've got right now. They've got an existing dwelling. Uh, they're in this environment in Mendocino uh, with, uh, with these conditions. And with that context, we wanted to break it down into little segments that are as relevant as possible and are prioritized by order of relevance. Uh, so when you go to our new webpage, which is firesafemendocino.org backslash home hardening, uh, and you can also get to that right off our main page uh, under the website under the Safeguard Your Homes. It's the Home Hardening video series. It takes you to a landing page that's got an overview uh, and from there, there's a, a menu on the left-hand side that starts in order of priority of the things that you can do uh, to get your home best ready for to survive a wildfire. So it starts with roofs and gutters and then moves on to vents and defensible space and on down the order of priority that we'll, we'll get to as we go. It's got some other tidbits thrown in, like some video on um, when you're doing your defensible space, how to do it in a way that preserves the environment because... A healthy vegetation is probably the most fire-safe vegetation if you're damaging plants, so they're more susceptible uh, to fire while you're doing your cleanup. You're probably not doing yourself a favor. So we're trying to pack as much of that info in as we can, but in small little bits. So if, as, as Yana said earlier, uh, you wanna, you've got uh, this weekend to do, you want to do something to make your roof more fire-safe, uh, you can look at the summary video and in two minutes get a summary of the things you can do for your roof. Uh, and if you've got a little more time and you want to understand the whys and the wherefores, then there's a longer video that provides a little more context about that. Uh, but if the roof is what you're doing this weekend, you can go just to the roofs and you know that's the top priority because we've listed them in order uh, and you can move down from there. Um, and that's probably enough of me rambling. With that overview, is there anything you'd like to say about how the series was, was put together, Jan, and what, what you want people to get out of it? 
I think when it comes to the issues of home protection and what people can do to help themselves, um, let me just step back. I'd say that most people are compelled in the moment that there's smoke in the air and there's the threat of an evacuation. And then there's the, oh, factor, okay, now I need to actually really do something. It behooves all of us, I think, in the same way with these chronic long-term issues to make a plan and to strategize and not feel like we have to take it all in all at once, but to uh, sort of start to understand the issues and think about what you can do in this moment that is um, achievable, feasible within your budget, within your, within your sweat, sweat equity capacity, um, and, and make a difference. Like I have a cabin that, uh, as I said, I grew up in southeastern Humboldt uh, that was under evacuation this year. I've been, uh, it didn't burn, so that's good. I did get ash underneath my front door. And that was a good aha moment like, oh, wow, I guess my weather stripping was really not as good as it needed to be. And had that ash been hot embers, I'm sure we would have lost our home, even though um, I've done a lot of things that are right. And I've been working on it for a number of years because I know that my cabin has to be able to defend itself on its own. It doesn't have the luxury of um, an easy access road. It doesn't have the luxury of enough other homes around it that's going to attract uh, firefighting resources. So that cabin needs to be able to make it on its own. So that's the way that I think about that cabin. So whether it's your home, your cabin, whatever it is, making a plan, figuring out what's achievable and starting to tick that off and thinking as a family about what the issues are. And I think the other challenge is that in some ways, this stuff's not easy to understand. Um, it's not, there's not just a single list that's going to work for everybody. And we'll try today to sort of distill it down to what are the key elements. But your situational context is important. And whether you're surrounded by lots of dense vegetation, whether you've got a ton of outbuildings, garages, woodsheds, pump houses, you know, tractor barns, whatever they are, those all influence your context, you know, as, um, as does where your home sits on the landscape. Are you at the top of a big um, hill? Are you out in the open? You know, are you a place where you get lots of wind? You know, those things matter. So we'll try and help you figure it out and, and make it achievable. I sat down yesterday with an architect who was interested in these issues and realized like there's just, there's so much room for growth in this topic and so much opportunity. Now uh, what, you know, what I want to say also is that what we're doing is really backed up by science. This is not just shooting from the hip and thinking that we understand this. A lot of our work is corroborated in a really fancy lab in, um, North, uh, in North Carolina. It's, it's run by the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. And uh, my colleague who worked with Scott and I on these, on these videos um, was the lead research scientist there uh, after he retired from the University of California where he'd done similar things but in a smaller facility. And this facility in North Carolina is big enough that we can build a whole building and then expose that building to wildfire um, embers in particular and put cameras and heat sensors and all kinds of instruments to be able to see exactly what happens inside the building, outside the building, and be able to compare one product to another or one type of construction assembly to another. So there, radio is not perfect for being able to talk about this stuff. Images really help. Um, but I just want to say that this is... Um, 
is driven by science and we don't represent any product. There's a lot of folks out there that are trying to sell you something and trying to say this is the silver bullet that's going to take care of the issues. And in reality, it's not just one product. It's really uh, the idea of your maintenance regime, your products themselves, but how are they assembled and the attention to the details is really what matters. And Scott, maybe that's a good time for us to talk a little bit about what type of uh, fire exposures most buildings experience, because I think that's where people get a little little confused in this topic. Is that, is that okay if I go there? Yeah, yeah first you mentioned embers, and I was just about to come in and say if you could uh, talk about the relevance of that in, in putting together your home hardening plan, so it's a great transition. So as we get in there, I just want people to realize we're tuned to KZYX Radio. Uh, this is the FireSafe Mendocino County show uh, being hosted by Scott Craddy, also the director of the Mendocino County FireSafe Council. Our guest today is an expert on home hardening, Yona Valakovic. Do I have your name pronounced correctly? Correct, correct Yona me. Yona Valakovic. Valakovic, got it. Um, and my name is Cobb. I'm engineering here in the studio today. Um, and as we move on to that topic, a question if you could both weigh in, I'm curious when we're talking priorities for homeowners uh, and their budget, home hardening versus defensible space, should they be prioritizing one versus the other? Me defensible space meaning just the brush around the home uh, versus budgeting for you know home improvements. That's a great question. I'm happy to answer that question. And, you know, before I start, I just really want to give a shout out to KZYX and Z because I was so impressed by how the station came together during the Redwood Valley fire and what critical services the station provided to be able to be that point of communication. And then um, every time I've come through uh, the listening airwave, I, you know, I'm just impressed by the quality of conversation, the thought that's been going in to look at the lessons learned and the opportunities for preparedness. So, um, I really love public radio, and I love your station, so it's a real honor to, to be here as a part of that. So coming back to your question about, you know, what do you prepare for? Is it one versus the other? Is it both? Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how most buildings burn, because most people perceive that there's going to be flames that touch the house, like a wall of flames, like a tsunami of flames that's going to just en engulf the house. Um, and that could be true, uh, but more likely what going to happen is that, and we saw this in Redwood Valley, uh, when we have wind behind a fire, that's when um, it's particularly hard to do direct attack, and that's when resources get spread pretty thin, and that's often when we have multiple times of ignition where people are, you know, there are, you know, limited resources. And so when you get wind behind a fire, wind is able to pick up pieces of the vegetation and create embers or firebrands. So they're little bits of burning vegetation that are moved in the air columns. They move horizontally in many cases. Um, and they can also be bits of, you know, a neighbor's building burning or your garage burning. And you get like, you know, bombarded by, I kind of think of like hail, uh, but hot sparks of hail, and those embers are able to land on, in, or next to the building. And um, the problem with embers is that they can bypass sort of standard defensible space or fuel vegetation modifications. Um, and so it means that we kind of have to prepare for both types of fire, not only the idea that you modify the vegetation 
so that fire doesn't come to your house. Uh, but also you need to be thinking about the combustibles that are near to the home and thinking about how you might, and we use this term harden, but how do you might, you know, armor your house so that it's not receptive to those embers. If and the I'm... third type of exposure. Go ahead. I would just say the third type of exposure is also important in this, and that's radiant heat. And that is where your neighbor's house, your garage, your woodshed, your fence, uh, is ignited in fire and you have not direct flame contact, but you have enough radiant heat uh, in a surrounding building that it's able to break a glass window or, um, you know, create some, some form of ignition on the exterior of your building. And that is how failure happens. So there are things to do when you've got buildings that are close to each other to help armor your main house as well as armor those buildings as well to be more resistant. So coming back to your question, Cobb, it's really not one versus the other. It's a, it's a coupled approach. And the piece that I think is different when it comes to the defensible space or fuel modification work that I don't think we've done as a society as good a job in, in communicating is I'd like people to work from their house outward. I'd like people to look at what is combustible right next to their home right now um, and think about modifications right there and work your way outwards. Because we've done a lot of work at the outside of our properties. We've done a lot of work along our roads. We've done work um, maybe connecting two properties together. But I think a lot of us have sort of thought that what's right next to my house is kind of my curtilage. It's sort of my special area. And it's maybe off limits. Right. It's, it's my my prerogative, what I plant there. And it's true, but it is your special place. But it's also extremely vulnerable to ember ignitions, whether it's the mulch that's there, whether it's the woody shrubs. Um, what's right in front of your big plate glass windows? Do you have a view screen of vegetation there? What would happen if that ignited? Would you lose that plate glass window? In most cases, probably. So is it possible to just sort of push that vegetation out a few more feet away from the house? Um, we're advocating, and there's now a new code in California that's coming uh, for a five-foot perimeter around any building and any attached deck or stairs or attachments to the house. So kind of a moat of special treatment area where there are very few combustibles uh, left in there. So maybe flip-flop the walkways and the garden beds. Uh, doesn't mean no flowers, doesn't mean no no beauty at all. It just means push them a little farther away from the house. Um, and just to jump in on that quickly, um, there's, in, in terms of the way we've laid out this series, um, defensible space, what's traditionally considered, you know, the 100-foot perimeter um, is part and parcel of what we're calling home hardening. It's one of the top priorities, so it's in there, uh, but you know, and Yana can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but, you know, it's my understanding that, uh, you know, she's laid out the three ways that things can catch fire. In wildfires, it's typically the embers that are, that are starting most homes on fire, and the ember can get in through a vent. Uh, your roof is a huge exposed area that it can land on, uh, and then there's the perimeter around the house. So those three things have been sort of grouped as priority one. So we are, we're basically in fold, folding defensible space into part of an overall home hardening plan uh, that looks at all those places, most importantly, as Yana said, from the house radiating out where embers are most likely to come in and hit your building and catch in the wind and pile up. Uh, and particularly um, 
what she mentioned is that first five feet, and and she'll do a better job explaining this, but and six inches up. Uh, so uh, that we that we have in this um, material as what's called zone zero, which is the the area immediately around your house where you want to do your you do your darndest to make sure you don't have anything that's that's flammable that that can because that's the area that's obviously since it's right next to your house if it catches if there's something there that can catch that that's the place that's going to most easily catch your house. And it's often that it's a little spot fire and there's nobody there to respond. Um, that leads to the loss of the house. So the spot fire grows, it catches part of the deck, or it, you know, creates enough heat that it starts to impinge on the siding. Um, so it's this, it, it's, sometimes it's a very slow process. Um, there can be other ways that embers get in. They can get in underneath your garage door. Um, they can get into your cat door, your dog door, other, other penetrations, windows left open, all that kind of stuff. So being aware that your home is porous um, is important. And, and and we, we need our homes to be porous in many respects. Like, we need to have a ventilation system that lets that warm, hot air in our attic out um, and also lets the moist air that accumulates inside our conditioned space out. Because um, otherwise, we'd live in a clammy, awful environment. And, it, you know, why not live in a cave, really? So, you know, the vents are really critical to how our homes function and make sure that we don't have rot mold and other, other terrible things inside our, our buildings. Um, but they're capable of two-way exchange. And so those embers, in most cases, um, can penetrate the average vent that we have on our buildings because most of those have screens that are a quarter inch or greater. So if you've got some energy this weekend, here's what I'd say. Look at the video series. Look at the top three things, which are going to be the roof, the vents, and the near-to-home vegetation, and just take stock. Let's, let's walk around the house and look at each of the vents, the dryer vents, the under-eve vents, uh, the through-roof vents, uh, the gable-in vents, the foundation vents, and look at what you have there. In most cases, you're going to probably find quarter-inch screen, um, which is good. You know, that's going to keep out mice and rats and all those other things you want out. But if you see that you have that kind of screen, I'm encouraging people to do the low-cost vent challenge, which is to go to the hardware store and buy some metal mesh screen that's 8-inch or smaller um, and be able to... You can cover your existing vents and upgrade your existing vents either from the inside or the outside, depending on where they are. Attics may be easier from the inside. Foundation may be easier from the outside. Um, and that'll just be a first armor of protection to start to be able to prevent ember entry. So real simple thing. Now, for those of you that have a little more budget, you might want to take a look at there are a whole new class of vents that have been created. And I don't know, maybe Scott, you or Cobb do know about what's available in your local hardware stores. But there are new vents that are really um, not too expensive, but much more sophisticated and are, you know, we actually have some new technology. There's a moment where new technology is going to be helpful here. They either um, shut down when flames get near them or they're armored in a way that flames can't penetrate them. So if you have a fire next to your foundation vent or your under eave vent, there are vents that can shut down um, and prevent flame impingement, uh, which is super cool. Now, a foundation vent is probably around $25, uh, just for comparison, a single vent. So depending on the size of your house, you can scale that up. A typical gable end vent, um, those are the big vents, like two feet by 18 inches or so. Uh, those are in the 120, 150 range. So you can get a sense of the scale of what, what we're talking about. But if money is an issue, 
that simple, you know, metal mesh screen upgrade and then moving the combustibles away from your home. Um, that's all sweat labor, and that'll make a huge difference because that'll prevent flame contact from being able to approach those vents. And so just the mesh improvement uh, will serve the purpose of those new fancy vents that I'm just talking about because you won't have flames that touch them. Great. Um, would this be uh, an okay time to, to bring in a little bit of discussion from the research you've been doing and research out of paradise and sort of fold that in and yeah. how, how that fits into the home hardening project? Yeah, happy to. I've been very intrigued about um, new change in policy in California, which affects new construction. Um, Todd, are we close to the top of the hour or half the bottom of the hour? Keep going. Okay, great. Um, so I've been really interested in how the 2008 change in construction codes in the wildland urban interface would perform. And the issue, like when you look at the Santa Rosa fires are really the ones that happened in Redwood Valley here, we just haven't had that much new construction. So we haven't been able to test how effective the new codes are. What was interesting to me about Paradise um, is sort of two things. There are 140 homes that have been built since the new codes came into place. And so these are codes for exterior elements of the home. They're not interior fire codes. They're just the exterior um, code changes. And those mean that people need to have those new vents that I've just been talking about. Uh, there may be a requirement for uh, tempered glass instead of annealed uh, glass windows. Um, a standard high-quality high roof is, is standard practice. These are things that are, are not particularly expensive, but uh, they're just some more attention to detail as part of the new codes. And what's interesting about Paradise is that all the buildings were exposed to a pretty consistent wind event over 12 hours, and most of the homes and, and uh, buildings were lost in that 12-hour period. So in terms of like a science experiment, it's not like we've had changing conditions throughout a fire. Like day one, it was this way, and day two, it was that way, and then homes were lost on this day, and then they were lost on that day. And so being able to look at kind of single effect was difficult or is difficult from a lot of the other uh, wildfires that we've had that have uh, burned homes. So Paradise is, is got uniform conditions and has a pretty good population size of, of new homes. And what we saw um, may surprise folks. It, it may not surprise folks, but um, newer homes did generally better than older homes. Um, and that's not a surprise, but the homes that survived were on larger lots and that they, they were uh, at a greater distance from the nearest destroyed structure. So in other words, density likely matters. And so if your neighbor's home burns, the overwhelming effect of having embers and radiant heat from your neighbor's home um, can overwhelm your own condition, even if you're um, meeting the new construction codes. So this, to me, was really, a, it's really an aha moment, and, and it kind of makes me think a lot about COVID these days and sort of epidemiology, where we're, we're all in this together, and um, we all need to figure out how to lift each other, because the condition of our neighbors, the health of our neighbors, the condition of our neighbor's house affects us, as does, you know, COVID affect us at a community level. So I think this is a great moment to be able to 
think more clearly about how we work in small neighborhoods and elevate our overall practices and work together to support each other because um, we're in this together. Well said. Having said that, we're tuned to KZYX, Philo 90.7 <laughs> FM, your community radio, everybody. And you're listening to a fairly new show that we're doing uh, for fire safety brought to you by partnership between KZYX and the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. Our host today is Scott Craddy, the director of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. Our guest is an expert on home hardening, Yana Valakovic. And my name's Cobb. I'm in the studio engineering this. And I want you all to know, just for a moment, that support for KZYX comes from our members and the Community Foundation in Mendocino County. The Community Foundation encourages local giving and supports a thriving Mendocino County with their new COVID-19 relief funds to provide immediate relief to individuals, nonprofit organizations, and micro-businesses in need throughout Mendocino County. More information or to donate, visit communityfound.org. And with that, let's get right back into home hardening, Scott. Um, well, just to follow up on that quickly, um, you know, so on our website, one of the things we've done is um, we've got the, the hard elements of the house, and I think we'll sort of maybe step through those next uh, and talk a little bit about the order of priority. Uh, but the ambiguous one actually is, is what Yana just focused on, and we put that at the bottom just because it's a little different, but uh, is community action. Um, and um, you know, from the Fire Safe Council perspective, we can't overemphasize the importance of, of looking at this as a community and forming your own neighborhood Fire Safe Council in your community. Uh, you know, one of the things we do, like I've said this before, but we'll emphasize it again, is that there are, um, you know, there are grant projects that can do amazing things. And if, if you happen to have a million dollars, you can come in with uh, some, some heavy equipment and, you um, and make an impact in a particular place. But, you know, first off, as soon as you've done that, it's going to start to grow back. Uh, and you're not going to find another million dollars next year. So even if you are fortunate enough to have that big, big save from the outside with funding that comes into your community and gets things started, you have to maintain it. Um, so you're going to need a plan for that. Uh, and secondly, you know, the odds are really good that there's not going to be a grant that lands in your particular area and, and comes in and does all that for you. So the other way to get it done is to have a whole bunch of people in your neighborhood um, do a little bit of it together. Um, and we've seen some amazing projects. There are some, um, there's uh, the, um, the um, I'm trying to remember the name of the, uh, the Fire Safe Council up, up the road from here that uh, everybody comes out once a year and just sort of clears their main access road. Uh, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of a party. Uh, it's a good time. You get to show off your latest riding mower potentially or uh, whatever other gear you've picked up over the year. But everybody puts in a few hours and, um, you know, lo and behold, there's a major road clearing project that just got done and everybody's got safer ingress and egress. Uh, and you can do the same thing, um, you know, getting together and going and looking through your neighborhood through and finding the home. Uh, not everybody can do all this work themselves, so some people are going to need help 
from their neighbors to get their defensible space done uh, or to get some caulking done to seal in cracks where sparks are going to be getting in or, you know, whatever the project is. So, um, it's, hey, it's um, all outdoor. COVID's safe. There you go. Yep, it's one of the things you can do safely as a group with a little distancing. Uh, it's a, Winter is a great time to get going on it and get organized so you are ready uh, with your plan before the next fire season rolls around. This is also the perfect time to be doing the home hardening work. Um, and I, I, a few people who we've talked to this series about have, have used the, the metaphor, you know, you, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. Uh, when, when you put all these things together, it does seem like an overwhelming bit, uh, but that again is exactly why we've broken it down into little digestible pieces in this video series. Uh, so you can take the take and do the part that's not intimidating to you at the moment, uh, and maybe that is going to be to you know uh, start organizing your neighbors and uh, if we can help you with uh, one one of the benefits of uh, being a neighborhood fire safe council is that if you can't meet in person, we can lend you a Zoom or get you a Zoom at a nonprofit rate for your group or whatever it, it takes uh, to, to get that motivated and going. Um, we'd, we'd love to help with that. Um, anyway, that was a bit of a diversion and I want to get back to Yana. And um, with that, um, I'm wondering if you could just sort of step us through the, the priorities and give kind of uh, the greatest hits of uh, what we what we want to have people looking at doing for um, you know, uh, we go, we've already talked about some of it, but a bit of a recap from roofs and gutters to vents to defensible space to decks and um, down, down the line. Yes. All right. So I'm going to fast forward and it's Friday. It's after Thanksgiving and you got to work off your, your, <laughs> your large eating from the week. And uh, hopefully the, the weather looks like it's going to be great. So nice time to get outside. So what I'd say is walk outside your front door. And first thing to do is take a look at what is likely, what is ignitable, combustible right next to your house. Take a quick walk around the whole house. Um, and, and, like, look at your deck. Like, what's underneath your deck? What's near your deck? Can you manage the grass and the growth under there? If not, let's figure out a plan right now. Second thing, I want you to walk around the whole building and look at the vents. Figure out where they are. Even identify them if you didn't know what they are. And, and take a look. Look at the foundation. Look at the undereave. Look at your through-roof fence. Look at your gable and vents. Identify where they are. And take stock. How many do you have? And um, kind of roughly how big are they? And, and what condition are they in? If you've got any holes, get on that right away. Because uh, it's the season that mice also move into buildings and they can make havoc of your house really quickly. Then I also want you to look at the roof. Now, um, the roof, as Scott said, is this, the largest really horizontal surface on your whole building, and it needs to ward off the rain. It needs to ward off uh, the wind, um, snow perhaps, um, but it also collects materials. It collects leaves. It collects uh, debris, and it can collect embers if, um, if you have a fire coming at you. So look at those places where you got Con, um, collection points and try and think about how you can try and keep those clean as much as you can. Um, if you have roof to wall connections, like you have dormers, you have little small little bits of transition um, intersecting roof planes, um, when you have siding next to roofing, that is a weak point. 
And so I want folks to think about um, what you might do to harden that weak point. You also want to look, if you have a tile roof, um, look for little gaps and look at places where you can use a little more caulk to plug up um, potential places where, where embers could get in. There's more on the video site to be able to sort of walk through each of those pieces. But roof, vents, right, what's, right, what's right near. This time so of year, that's a great place to start. Yep, just to break in real quickly, this time of year we've got lots of leaves coming down, so it's the perfect time if you've got any kind of complex roof to see where those are piled up because that's a place where you're always going to have a problem with ignition and, you know, instead of replacing the roof, there are relatively inexpensive strategies like just if you've got a place where, uh, like I do just outside this window, where uh, you've got two different pieces of roof that come together with an overlap and things and under there, uh, you know, be be inventive and come up with inexpensive ways to do it. Just a little bit of screen across there uh, can save you from having to blow it off again and again and again, or uh, at least to do it less often. So look for ways to, you know, seal the cracks and block ways where uh, you've got a bunch of debris that piles up regularly. Back to you. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, for a little more sophisticated stuff, um, then you might look at um, ways that you could, um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. So, when, you know, as it gets more complicated, there are ways to do a little more flashing around those uh, intersections of roofs and walls. There's a little bit of work you can do to improve that. Maybe if you've got a little siding that's exposed there, then you might move to a non-combustible siding. Um, so there's, there's some options that, that you might be able to do um, that are pretty simple and low cost. So that's the plan for the weekend. Make sure you go out and look at the roof, what's near your house and the vents. And if you've got, you know, some kids around or you've got some, you know, some labor, you've got some capacity, then maybe go to the hardware store and get some of that, that mesh cloth and be able to upgrade those vents and start making a transition plan for moving some of those foundation plantings away from the house, just out a few more feet. I have a question regarding budget for folks that are obviously on a tight budget. Um, and maybe this ties into some of the more extensive home hardening but is there any mm -hmm. easy known intersection points between homeowner insurance and home hardening and taxes and home hardening as far as saving some money goes do you want me to answer that scott sure yeah um i don't have an easy answer to uh, sources of revenue, uh, sources of funding to underwrite some of these costs or tax breaks. Uh, there's a lot of people that are trying to think about this and trying to create some reward or incentive programs for homeowners. Um, I will say that the issue of cancellation of policies is also something that people need to be aware of. I'm sure communities are talking about it. Any steps you do now likely may help you be able to retain your insurance. And if you got um, some you know, opportunity to communicate to your insurance company and say, look, I've done these things, um, that would be points that they might recognize and could be helpful for retention of insurance. There's a lot of state policy right now really trying to fix the insurance issues, um, but there's, it's not simple. Um, and I can, I can, you know, go down that rabbit hole of why it's not simple. I'm not trying to defend the insurance companies, but it's, there's not an easy, easy fix across the board. It's a longer term concern. Mm -hmm. 
sounds yep, like. We, we will probably yeah. have a show on that down the road, um, just on insurance. But, um, yeah, it is a huge issue, and I do know, I don't know if anything's super helpful at the moment either. There is, um, I was having a conversation with someone from the California State Fire Safe Council last week who let me know that they're, um, trying to, you know, there's there's proto development on a grant project that is for home hardening uh, assistance. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled on our website. Maybe sometime down the road that will happen. Um, some of this stuff is expensive. A lot of it isn't. I would point out uh, on our main home hardening page, right under the introductory videos, we've got a link to uh, click on great low or no cost projects. Uh, to get going on your home hardening. So we've got a whole list of those. Um, that's a good place to start. And um, hating to divert attention from our own website, but another thing that I found recently that's really handy, um, uh, in Southern California, they've just put up a website called defensiblespace.org. Uh, and defensiblespace.org, under their um, maintenance for your home section, has a really neat little graphic that uh, has one, one axis is the relative cost of repairing something and the other axis is the priority in terms of how important it is for helping fireproof your home. Uh, so it's got those components laid out in a nice graphic way so you can see which things are high priority, like for example maintenance, which we haven't talked about a whole lot yet, but Maintenance is super high priority in, in the overall scheme of, of hardening your home and helping it survive wildfire, and it's relatively low cost. Uh, so you can get a ton done there just by doing the right maintenance work, uh, you know, followed by vents. Vents are on the very high priority list, and they're also relatively low cost. And there's different ways to do them. Even if you, if you can't afford to go get new vents or even new mesh, an alternative approach is to hand make things to close your vents with at before, if there's a fire in your area. Uh, just create yourself some vent plugs uh, that you can, uh, you know, if there's a wildfire and you're evacuating, you have those ready to plug in before you leave so embers can't get in that way. So there's, you know, lower, lower cost and more sophisticated ways of dealing with some of these problems. And we try to provide you... Um, Try to provide you guidance as best we can on those in the videos. So, as we come up near the but end of our, get... oh, as we come up near the end of our hour, Scott, I just wonder uh, for folks that just tuned in, can you give the uh, access information how to find the Mendocino County uh, Fire Safe Council website and these home hardening instructional videos and so forth? Sure. Um, so our website is Fire Safe Mendocino all run together, .org, so firesafemendocino.org. And if you just get to the main page, there's a, um, there's a link right to the video series. Several ways to get to it, though. Uh, our first major heading under there is safeguarding your home. Uh, so if you put the cursor there, you'll see the first thing on that is a link to our new home hardening video series. Uh, and if you want to go straight to there, it's firesafemendocino.org backslash home hardening uh, and that'll get you to the landing page that will um, has a nice handy menu to get you to each of the bits and pieces of the program uh, including some supplemental material yeah i found a Great. Well, i, I want to i just want to say that assembly member wood has really been trying to be effective in this space 
and you know he represents those in our listening area and he passed AB 38 in 2018 um no maybe 2019 now 2019 which is was specifically designed to help um help people that need assistance with these home hardening tasks and some of these defensible space pieces the unfortunate part is the bill um didn't get funding this year because of uh, the crisis in the state budget associated with COVID. So state resources really have not been flowing um, this year and have been impacted because of the COVID crisis. I hope we can get out of COVID and we can get to a place where we can try and help everybody in this moment. I think the first thing that everybody can start with is education. Education is free. And if you can start to figure out where your issues are, then as a community, you can start to figure out how to help each other. Um, maybe your neighbor's really good, really handy. And maybe you're really good at the gardening piece. So you can swap some services. So, you know, there's ways that we all can work together to, to help each other out. And we can also identify those in the community that are least able, uh, just like we want to help them in evacuation times, but to, to be able to work through these pieces and, and make sure they understand what the risks are um, with their particular building. There is in no case that we want people not to evacuate. We want people to get out early and heed the warnings and make sure they're signed up for the alerts and all that good stuff. Um, this is what we're talking about in terms of maybe being able to, you know, protect your home and some of the, the landscape um, or the forest around your home in a way so that it can become resilient to fire. So fire threats is threatening that you're not really worried. Like you, you got yourself all figured out and um, it's not going to create a, you know, a major damaging event to the forest as well as to your home. That's where we want to get to. And that's something that we can do because, you know, California is adapted and dependent upon fire and it's been burning for, you know, tens of thousands of years. And we just happened to build our built environment right in the middle of a landscape that was, was designed to do that. And so, you know, it took us 150 years or so to build the infrastructure that we have in California. So it's going to take us a while to turn this around, but we can do this. This is things that are within our capacity. And, you know, one of the points I like to, to leave with folks is, you know, we don't fight earthquakes. We don't fight tornadoes. We don't fight hurricanes. What do we do? We adapt and we build smarter. And so we have to apply that same framework to fire because we've been dependent on a fighting force to save ourselves from ourselves. And it's just, it's, it's not working. I mean, firefighters get the majority of the moderate condition fires, but when we have extreme critical weather events and we have lightning ignitions across the board or we have power lines that come down in these wind events, you know, the system gets overloaded. So what can we do to help ourselves? And the kinds of uh, information that the Mendocino Fire Safe Council are putting out are really key, critical pieces of information that can really help you. Thanks for that. Um, Scott? Yeah, great points. Um, almost I mean, the things I have are kind of a little after that. That, that was... Uh, <laughs> Really well said, Yana, the, the, the next question I had actually was relative to sighting, because uh, the um, sighting shows up really low on our priority list, which might be confusing to some people. So I um, wondered if you'd provide a little context for that. Yeah, I know everybody wants sighting to be important. And I think everybody wants sighting to be important because that's what you walk up to your house and you see. I mean, it's, you know. It's vertical. You see siding, and um, maybe we need a paint job. Maybe the siding's in disrepair, so fire. Oh, this is our, our excuse for why we need to replace the siding. 
I'm not saying that siding isn't important, but relative to the other pieces, it, it um, is more manageable. If you can do the zone zero, the zero to five adjustments so that you don't have combustibles right next to your house, your siding really isn't going to get much of an exposure. So the siding is, becomes a lower importance when you're able to modify those conditions. Where that's not true is where you have buildings that are close to each other, and that means less than 30 feet apart from each other. Um, because if the neighboring building ignites, the radiant heat exposure and the, and the heat load that the siding takes on that side of, the, of your house um, becomes a bigger issue. And then in that case, there are ways that you can either upgrade the siding or upgrade the way the wall is assembled so that it has a higher fire rating. And that's done with gypsum board underneath um, as, a, as a base layer to help cre- increase the fire rating. Uh, and it can also be done with uh, other non-combustible siding alternatives. One of the things to think about with siding and flames is that the more gaps and joints you have, um, the more places flame has the ability to penetrate. So lap- panel siding actually does better than our typical uh, vertical beveled siding. Um, and that's because you've got all these you know, lines where you've got places for deflection and warping with heat. Um, and that's where flame can kind of get, get in between those joints. So um, just because you have a panel siding, don't feel like it's in, you know, it may have been lower cost, but it's actually quite effective when it comes to, to fire in general, because you only have these four by eight sheets and you only have a gap or a joint every four feet, uh, as opposed to these vertical uh, horizontal siding where you get um, all those gaps and joints. But again, if you've got buildings that are close to each other, this is where you need to be thinking about siding. If, if you don't and or you can harden your neighboring building, um, then I'd really focus on that zone zero as, as, a, as a higher priority and then the vents and the roof. I have a question regarding fencing uh, mm-hmm. relating to siding and that five foot of space. And I, I see there's a, a whole video to watch um, on the website just about fencing. So I'm guessing that the answers are all there, but maybe you could speak to that briefly. Yeah. I, I mean, fences make great neighbors. We all know that, right? You know, we love our privacy. Uh, the challenge is that fences can ignite and fences can bring fire directly to the house. So what we like people to think about is the attachment point of the fence to the building. Um, and just like that zone zero concept where we're looking at combustibles right next to the building, can you upgrade or replace that attachment point uh, with a non-combustible gate, for example? Um, so that the, if you, you happen to get ignition in the fence, that doesn't bring the, the fire all the way directly to the building. So, so another, small modification there. Yeah, and there's another good point for sort of different ways to tackle this. I mean, w- once you've become aware of this and you're five feet and you're aware of everything that's flammable next to that, to, to, in the five feet, if you've got a wooden fence that connects to your building, uh, you know, if, if something comes up and there's a fire in the area and you haven't gotten to replacing it with a, a, a metal gate, uh, the other option that's in the video, which I thought was uh, Steve Quarles points this out, uh, which is great. Just have be cognizant of the things to do as you're leaving uh, and open that gate and tie it off so that you just, you know, so that it's not leading the fire straight to your building. Um, so that's a super inexpensive way to deal with it is just to make sure you've got it in your mind and you've sort of thought through what all those points of connection and weakness are. Uh, and if there's some way to uh, you know, some way to address those uh, in the short term and in the long term. 
Well, having exactly. said that, but not not every attachment point is with a gate either. Okay. So some people just directly hard, you know, hard, you know, the fence right to the house, and that's where the the weakness is. We're coming up on our final couple of minutes. Uh, we've been tuned to KZYX. This has been a Fire Safe Mendocino County show. Our host has been Director Scott Craddy, the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council, and our guest has been Yana Valakovic. Uh, talking about home hardening and I wonder uh, if you either have final statements you'd like to put out there or any contact information for listeners as they go about their home hardening efforts um, for the fire safe council um, so you can get to us through our website first of all and just a plug for that again firesafemendocino.org and um, hopefully you will make a few minutes over the holiday weekend um, to go in and take a look at at least start on some of the summary videos before you take the challenge that Yana put out to you to go out and start uh, looking at your house and making a plan um, we are our general mail is firesafe at pacific.net so if anybody wants to get in touch with us that way um yeah yana did you have did you want to share any contact info or resources yeah yeah i guess i'll just leave with the idea that these are things that are within our capacities and these are things that we can do and uh, i just hope people um recognize that there's a lot that's within your own your own family's you know effort that can really make a difference and just start having coherent conversations about fire. Uh, we need to be prepared in the same way that we think about earthquakes that we do with fire. And there's just a lot of things that we can do to help ourselves 